welcome to Or Else. You guys should already know this by now, but for those of you who don't, Or Else is a podcast dedicated to interviewing current fellows, alumni, and business leaders and entrepreneurs in the Indianapolis area. Today, our guest is Karen Smithson, who is the executive director of Or Fellowship. Again, you guys should already know this, but for those of you who don't, Karen is one of the two paid members of Or Fellowship. And today, we're going to get to learn a little bit more about what her job entails. I, I, I think you could uh, find a thread going throughout my career called marketing. Generally speaking, marketing has been the theme of my various jobs. Um, I majored in English, and uh, my first job out of school was uh, a merchandise buyer, which involved a lot of schlepping of racks in retail, and I didn't like that, but I loved the advertising part of it. And so each job I've had, I kind of took what I enjoyed and discarded the part that I didn't enjoy, and that kind of informed my next decision about where I'd go next. So after that, I went to an ad agency, and then another ad agency, and then, you know, you know that, right. that kind of path. And in each of my jobs, I tended to lean toward anything that had to do with marketing, writing, a lot of client contact. Um, so communication and marketing, I guess, were the, the two themes. And um, my career in Indianapolis, I um, was at the Indianapolis Star for 10 years. It is uh, first a research manager and then promoted to director of marketing. And after that, I was... Um, Director of Marketing and Public Relations at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis, and uh, I've also done some freelance writing. Karen said that she thought what Orr Fellowship was looking for in a person to fill the executive director role was someone who could communicate on many different levels and have many transferable skills. This person would have to communicate not only with the board members, but with host companies, and most importantly, the fellows themselves. Each one of these categories would require different tactics, considering each one of these people has different roles, different backgrounds, different positions. She says that when she interviewed for the position, she told the board members they needed to find the right person for the job. And even if that person wasn't Karen, her suggestion for them was that they find someone without a type A personality, considering that Orr has plenty of it going around already. Don't worry, she didn't say that was a bad thing. She said, actually, that it was a great thing but here's her reasoning behind it. I felt like leading this organization, perhaps there needs to be someone who's a bit more adaptive and can kind of not ever escalate the intensity, but in fact maybe take it down a notch. Um, While I am an intense lover of people, I'm actually not a type A personality at all. Um, I'm an introvert who projects extrovert when I need to. What is the most distinct difference from your what you did before to now being the director of OR? It's hard to compare anything to the OR Fellowship organization because OR wins in every category. I mean, it just does. What do you mean by that? Because of the people and the energy and the intelligence and the um, constant new initiatives and the connections. I mean, there, there are just so many categories that you could check the box that or fellowship wins versus any other place I've ever worked. There's less structure, so I suppose if I if I had more of a concrete differentiation, it'd be 
Mm, sometimes I wish there was a little more structure, but that's just me. I kind of like a little structure. Karen says that if she were a candidate answering the question of what kind of business she would like to work at, she would choose scale-up or well-established instead of startup, simply because she likes a little more structure. She's not a huge risk taker, but in the end, that's not what was needed for her to run the organization. And this leads to the question, what does it take to really run OR? What is her job and what does she do on a daily basis? To be honest, even though I've known Karen for five months and I knew of her during recruitment about a year ago, all I could tell you is that she does a lot of important stuff. But it seems a little unfair to label her job as important stuff or magic. So I'll let you hear it from her own words. It is hard to describe what I do. When, when I interviewed for this position, there was a very detailed job description. I haven't lately gone back and reread it to, to kind of check off now. I, are all those things still applicable? But basically, um, you, can, you can put my job into three buckets, maybe. And um, one would certainly be communication. It's probably the most important one. And like we said, communication with all the different stakeholders right. in, in our organization. Um, I communicate all day long. It's just that I'm not around all of you. Um, I'm, I, they're all one-off conversations, typically, or, or meetings with a group of you. The other pillar would be the curriculum piece. And that encompasses basically everything we're doing for you all that's not social. Yes. I mean, really, it, it kind of does. Um, maybe not civic engagement, but we are, we are certainly trying to have learning experiences with our civic engagement, so even that could somewhat be called curriculum. And then, and then the third is our infrastructure. So we were a, a wonderful organization that was a little loosely connected in the area of um, infrastructure and so I came in and um, worked with the fellows that, that were here at the time to put a few more structures in place so that we can grow and grow in the right way and that's what we've been doing I've been here three and a half years and that's certainly what we've been doing um, over that that piece of time that's more of the high-level view of what she does, but if you want to get nitty-gritty and talk about what she does on a daily basis, it could probably be boiled down to two things, email and phone calls. Karen says that if she just had more hours in a day, she would dedicate them to catching up on email alone. But while emails and conversation take up a lot of her time, that's not the only thing she does. I meet with host companies about uh, hopefully positive issues but occasionally negative issues related to fellows I um, try to try to mediate any issues going on mostly um, I'm, I'm kind of this weird dotted line mm -hmm. it's like a triangle between all of you and your employer I'm not your employer certainly right. I'm your advocate right. but I sometimes can mediate um, thorny situations and, and hopefully be a voice for good in those, and, and we've had some success with that, it's great. I, um, I communicate with outside organizations pretty frequently about us mm -hmm. promoting our cause. I spend a lot of time talking to prospective companies. We had about 125 new companies that I was in communication with 
preparing for this recruitment season, and we ended up with 18 new companies as part of our 2019 class. So um, it takes a lot of time to have a lot of conversations and back and forth in emails and what have you. And hopefully any groundwork that I'm, I'm laying now with a company, even though they didn't become a host company, um, is going to be a solid foundation for something that we can uh, partner on in the future. Um, there are lots of companies out there. They're not all perfect for us. Um, we decline quite a few, and then we have others that I'm just trying to get, and I haven't gotten them to commit yet, So, right. and everything in between. And, and, and so um, we certainly track that and, and, and follow up on those conversations. Okay, I'm really sorry this cutoff seems awkward and unnatural, but I have a good reason for it, I swear. In about 10 seconds, there is a sudden outburst of laughter from outside of the conference room, and it makes what Karen says next hard to hear. The culprits shall remain nameless, but I will tell you it was one of the few rowdy fellows at Duramark, so you can blame them appropriately for having to listen to me script what Karen says for the next few minutes. To the fellows at Duramark, you know I love you all and thank you for all the joy you bring to the office. Karen does one-on-one mentoring with fellows, both in their professional life and sometimes in their personal life. She also works with fellows and the many initiatives or fellowship is either promoting or involved in. While all this is important, I really wanted to know about the host company recruiting process. We, as fellows, obviously get to see the result of this hard work at RATSI, but I knew there had to be more behind it than just asking a company, do you want to host a fellow? What do you guys look for in companies, um, and what does that process look like to actually get them to become an Orfellow uh, host company? That'd be great if I had that slide right here, and I would just go through right. that. It? But basically, there is no um, one-company-fits-all definition Um, I think there kind of used to be in the early days of OR, they were looking for young tech entrepreneurial kinds of companies. Um, And that's certainly our, you know, in our, in our hearts and our DNA and it always will be. And and we do tend to be heavy on tech. I think the last time we did an an analysis last summer, so it doesn't include the new 18 companies of, of like, you know, what kind of businesses do we have? I think it was like, 58 or 60 percent tech okay. and by tech that's very subjective that's right that's us saying well we think that should be called a tech company so right whatever but um companies can be any size because we've talked about startup we've had companies as small as three or four those make me a little bit nervous but they work and they work out and for fellows looking for that in the weeds, how does a company begin experience? Boy, they're getting it. Um, we have companies with 20,000 employees around the world, and they just happen to have a, a headquarters or a, a key office here in town. And most companies, though, are in that middle ground. They're like 50, 100 employees, that kind of range. She does say that when they call a company a startup, scale-up, or well-established company, that doesn't always directly relate to the size or employee count. For example, Karen and her husband own a small printing business that is very well-established, and they only have four employees. On the flip side, she says there's a danger in also thinking that larger companies can't be entrepreneurial. 
She says that many companies that are large in terms of employees are still creating new products and building new divisions all the time, which is definitely entrepreneurial in spirit. When looking for those dynamic companies and figuring out if they are in stages of growth, it's all about reading their website, talking to the companies themselves, and trying to figure out their mission and where they are in the business world. What we're not looking for are stodgy companies that just for years and years have done the same things the same way. We're looking for companies that are dynamic, that are growing, um, and yes, there are various rates of growth, but we, we definitely talk to them about growth. We're certainly looking for them to be financially stable. Um, no one plans ahead to have a layoff, it, but it's the business world and it's messy but we try to vet the companies as best we can so that that doesn't happen. Right. You and I both know it does, and it happened this year. Yeah. Um, and we can talk about that if you'd like. I'd like to pause here and let you know that we will get back to this, how OR deals with fellows when a company can no longer host them. But for now, Karen is going to keep talking about the company vetting process for a little bit before we circle back. Just wanted to give you a heads up. We look for companies that have a good reputation. Mm -hmm. We consider if they give back to the community. Um, um, their executives need to be fairly easy to communicate with or we don't get too far. Right. <laughs> um, I try to make a site visit. I don't always make it in the crunch, um, but I, um, I try to make a site visit as well. Um, so anyway, so I, I have all these conversations with companies and I have some notes. Um, and Jen, who is our, our, our second employee to OR Fellowship, who's the Director of Programming and Engagement, she did a great job this summer when she was brand new of doing some research on companies for me as far as are they female-owned, for example? Um, you know, what kind of revenue do they bring in? That, how old are they? That kind of thing. Um, and anyway, we present all that to our Board of Directors, and then they go through the whole list of prospective companies to give feedback. Well, I heard this about this company. Oh, this one, I kind of know it might be on shaky ground. You know, that kind of thing. It's all confidential, but it helps discern if we should invite those companies. They actually do it on our current companies every single year oh, as really? well. Okay. So no company um, is a shoe-in every year to be in our company the next. We, we reconsider every company every year because things change. Of course. And, and some years we ask companies to maybe skip a year. And, and maybe they're going through something, some, you know, some internal changes that aren't bad, but certainly maybe don't make for the greatest or fellow experience. And we say, why don't you skip this year and come back strong the next year? We do that all the time. Right. Many companies do that, um, whether we suggest it or they, they want to do it. So yeah. it's no big deal. I found the fact that even current companies get reevaluated every year really comforting. To me, this means that Karen, and now Jen, really do care about the environment fellows are placed in and continue to have our best interests at heart. But even with the evaluation and proverbial hoops they might have to jump through, like Karen said, the business world is messy and things can happen. You mentioned so a little bit about when a host company can't, uh, I say, sponsor or you know host a right. fellow anymore. Right. Um, and if you feel comfortable, I think it'd be interesting to talk about sure. that a little bit. It's awful when that happens. It's awful. Um, this, this past year we have, it's been, a, 2018's been an interesting roller coaster in a number of ways. We had last spring, so, so last, last year, finalist day, November 2017, we had um, one, two, 
one, two, three, four, five fellows who received offers, went through the rest of their senior year thinking all was well, and lo and behold, in the spring, um, three companies um, informed us that mm, we, we changed our mind or mm, something's different and we're, we're rescinding the offers basically. And it was right before graduation. Um, and of course, it meant these uh, fellows, five were affected by this. These five fellows, it's not like they had time to go out yeah, and, no. and interview. Um, the beautiful thing about it is that they were or fellows and we made it very clear to them they are in with us and we um, end up being a bit of a safety net in those situations that, you know, the, the um, the average college graduate certainly isn't it's all going familiar to. familiar face, just wanted to say Hello. hi. Hello, <laughs> I was going to come say hi and before you. No, oh, good. Gone. No, just walking by. So right here, my boss and CEO interrupts the interview. As you can hear, he greets her warmly. But what you can't see is that he immediately goes in for a friendly hug. I think it's really important to point out how Karen and my CEO look like they have a friendship rather than a strictly professional relationship. They catch up for a few moments, talk about finalist day, and during the middle of that conversation, one of our OR alumni, and actually one of the first OR fellows at Duramark, pokes his head in the conference room and says hello to catch up with Karen as well. As I stood there, honestly just wishing I could get back to interviewing Karen, I realized this moment was gold because it shows how genuine Karen is about her relationship with host companies. Well, I'll let you guys get back to it. Thank you. Sure. Good to see Thank you. you. Thanks for <laughs> Take care. Um, I was right in the middle of saying I know. Mm -hmm. So you were talking about how unfortunate it is when a host company says, so five fellows were affected. Okay, um, so. The and yeah. May came around. They don't have time to apply for new jobs. Yeah. And then what happened? What happened? So anyway, I don't know. I'll just start in. And, okay brand new sorry <laughs> oh no I'm sorry I, I don't remember my exact train no, of thought good. but anyway when that happens you know I, I, I call up these you know poor unsuspecting fellows and break the bad news and it's never a fun call and I make sure that the first I make sure the first thing I say the middle thing I say and the last thing I say is it's going to be okay yeah you won't remember anything I say because your your mind is blown right now right. and there's emotion and shock, but just hear me saying calmly to you, it's going to be okay. Right. <laughs> and inevitably, you know, there have been a number of these situations over the years, the fellows come back to me and say, I do remember you just saying it was going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. And tell your parents it's going to be okay too, you know, right, I kind of right. messages. She says or is a safety net in the sense that they've got so many connections. When a situation like this happens, they immediately activate their network and she sends a notice out to companies making them aware of the situation and asking them to take a look at these fellows' resumes. One thing that she emphatically highlights, however, is that OR is by no means in charge of getting the fellow another job. The fellows are in charge of the search process and finding themselves a job. However, Karen and OR does help regarding polishing off resumes and going through interview questions to help them. Karen says she keeps in touch with the fellows often during this process because she never wants them to feel alone. Invariably, they end up landing in a 
position that they actually say is a better fit than the first one. And invariably I hear that like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I was devastated. I thought everything was great, but guess what? It all worked out for the best because now look what I'm doing X, Y, Z. I have those conversations every time. Right. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, so I think it's important to have someone in my role to be here though for the fellows when an unexpected twist happens in their mm-hmm. career. Um, they've got someone they can turn to who actually can help them. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's why we exist at our fellowship is to help you all have meaningful careers. So even when a door shuts, another opens, right? Right, yeah. exactly. We actually had a, we had a school ask us not to return one time, which is Wait, shocking. Like, you mean when we were recruiting at yeah, schools? Like recruiting, yeah. Uh, it was one particular woman. It wasn't like the school as a whole. Okay. And it's because she had heard two of their, you know, the school's alumni who had become fellows had lost their jobs. And so she actually reached out to me and said, we, you know, we'd prefer you not recruit here because you don't do well enough in your vetting of companies and uh, we cannot in all good faith recommend your program to our students if that's what they're going to encounter. And it was shocking because she just totally missed the boat on that. Yes, two of, I did know who she was referring to. She didn't even give their names and I knew. What she didn't know was the whole story. Yes, they had lost their jobs, and yes, they had ended up in far better roles somewhere else about a month later and were thriving. And if she had talked to them directly, they would have done nothing but rave about being Orfellos and how the experience was so positive for them. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, because you think about it, the business world, you keep saying that, and I think that's even something that many of us even not in or many of my friends who have jobs, they're obviously not or fellows, but it's like, yeah, it's the business world, you know? It's things messy. happen, it's messy, and things work out, things also don't work out, you have to work hard, you might yeah. have lighter days, but yeah. not every job offer is a guaranteed, you know, five it's years, not. Um, which I think is uh, it's not pretty short-sighted for somebody who, who yeah. claims to understand You know, we talk a lot about grit, and, and, and it might be becoming an overused word at or, but we all kind of like it. So until the, a better one comes along, I guess we'll stick with it. But it, it, we truly are looking for grit in candidates and, and then eventual fellows. And I think that relates to resiliency. Things are going to happen that none of us foresee, and we generally don't have a magic wand to make it all better but we all have the fortitude within ourselves to work hard and, and collaborate and figure out a solution and support each other all the while. You can't ask for much more than that. You really can't. Now that I talked to her about host companies and or behind the scenes, I wanted to get what really makes up OR itself, what everyone hears and sees and thinks of when they think of OR, the fellows themselves. I kind of want to touch on a little bit about the growth of OR. I know this is a hot topic, at least among us fellows, because I think my class was the kind of next biggest jump I think that OR had done in a while. So the class before me was around 40, and then uh, the class of 2018, yes, I graduated 2018. (laughs) I had to do that math for a second. 2018 um, is about 70 of us, and so we're looking at hopefully getting those same numbers um, kind of for our class this 2019 class. Um, And so to me, that constant growing 
has some good and bad things to it, but I want to hear a little bit about what you have to think about our growth. You can, you can look at it as uh, two columns, pros and cons. The, the pros are that we're able to do more as an organization because we have scaled, because the money that we spend in our budget is, is not always a per fellow amount. Our sole source of income is a quarterly invoice that we send to each host company per fellow, and it's not very much actually, but it adds up. And so scaling our number of fellows has certainly impacted our potential for the future in terms of our budget and what we can do. It's the reason that I was able to be hired. It's the reason that Jen was able to be hired this summer um, so that we can have consistency year over year with, you know, she and I aren't part of the turnover. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's the reason that we can do more and more in our curriculum. It's the reason that we can bring more deserving candidates into this organization. I mean, so if, if you look at it in terms of what a great opportunity or is for fellows, you want to say the more the merrier. We want more and more people to benefit from this and to um, enrich our community, hopefully because of it. Now the cons are, um, back in the day, which I wasn't around then, but I, I hear a lot of stories, like I'll go to the, I'm going to the alumni happy hour tomorrow night, and I'm mm -hmm. invariably I hear the good old day stories, and you know, at, at some classes are like six people, eight people, ten people, and were they very close? Of course they were. I mean, how could they not be? And they knew every detail of each other's lives, and maybe they all lived together practically. I mean, you know, so they had a camaraderie that. There's no way we could recreate that with the current 112 fellows, or when this next class is 65, 70, I mean, potentially it could be 140 next year if, if we hit 70 again. Yeah. So, okay, that intimacy is difficult to duplicate. So, um, so we had to make a decision at the board level, is that what we're all about or not? Because if it is, then we should keep our numbers at 25 maybe per class if you think about it and the decision was you know we are not a social club we sure have a lot of delightful social aspects to us I mean you can't even count how many opportunities there are to yeah <laughs> to uh, hang out with all your new best friends but um we are a professional organization with a mission of developing the next generation of business leaders and entrepreneurs not providing social outlets and close-knit friendships. I mean, it's just the beautiful outcome. With all this growth, it's hard to imitate the good old days, like Karen says, because intimacy is harder with bigger numbers. So what do we do to balance things out? We have programs like Or Families dedicated to helping fellows feel more connected to each other. The candidates right now who have received offers, they're gonna find out in, what is it, February, when, when you all come back for a kind of a welcome weekend, and you're automatically placed in a family of like 10 other fellows, none of whom work at your company and hopefully none of whom went to your school either. You've got 10 people who are your people right away to get to know. And I think the, the fact that we plan events around families, we have a trivia night coming up and something else, I, I caught something else last night, I don't know what it was. I think that's really important to, to having layers of people around you. Are you ever gonna know every one of the other 69 folks in your class really, really well. There's no way, mm -hmm. there's no way. 
am I going to know everyone in that 70 person class? Right. There's no way. Right. However, the more layers you can add, the more spheres of people around you, whether it be okay, um, on the marketing team, you've gotten to know all those folks, um, helping with a certain event, okay, you're working with those folks, uh, the people that you live with, um, you know, you just try to build those spheres out. Karen says that currently they don't want to see anybody fall through the cracks. She and the chief of staff get together every so often to see who they need to check in with, who they should reach out to if they haven't seen them in a while. It's hard to keep track of everyone, but the care is deliberate. When she mentioned this, she also had another interesting observation to make. I have never worked anywhere that is so devoid of clicks and clicks in the negative yeah. sense of the word. So are there friend groups? Of course. Mm -hmm. But what I witness is if somebody is having an event at their um, apartment some night and they just put out the word in Slack or whatever, they truly want anyone who's willing to <laughs> it's come. It's so true. There is no clicky, well, it's just for this group of people uh, uh, situation. And I have seen that since day one, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think that's because it's coming out of a professional organization. Right. We are not a social club. We know we're professional first, and somehow that has taken care of that clicky weirdness that can occur in many companies and right. has, in fact, occurred at many companies I've worked at in the past. What Karen says is true. There are no cliques. There are interest groups, hobby-affiliated people that happen to gather together, but everyone is welcome. From pumpkin patch exploring to a retro 80s appreciation day, everyone and anyone is expected to join if they feel like it. And the only way we can accomplish this is because of the wonderful fellows themselves. Also, speaking of fellows, I know we are all just dying to know the answer to one specific question. Who is your favorite fellow? <laughs> it's whoever I'm talking to in the moment. So Amanda, it's you. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, I always have some fellows I know better than others, but that doesn't mean they're my favorites per se. I mean, I have to say every year the chief of staff, if I had to pick someone because I just know how much heart and soul they put into that role so often behind the scenes but even you know all the members of the fellow leadership team always yeah. have a special place in my heart every year because they just go way above and beyond we mentioned last night that last year there were folks on the recruitment team pulling all-nighters and this year they thankfully avoided that but I happen to know that I've been getting stuff at 1:30 in the morning and I've had conversations with Mallory at 5 a.m. so you know, right. um, the sacrifice, sacrifices that so many fellows make on behalf of or you can't help giving them extra love. Oh, of course. Right? No, 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 I know. But generally, so I do all these one-on-ones with the new fellows. I'm not through them yet. I think I'm through about 45 right now. In the moment when I'm meeting with, with each fellow one-on-one, -on -one, they're my favorite fellow because I'm getting to know them a bit. I'm, I'm kind of you know, getting to know their personality. I'm hearing about what it's like at work. I'm usually admiring their gumption of, of, of what they've been doing. We're laughing together and it's delightful. And it's it's hard to schedule seven, 70 one-on-ones, sure. but I'm gonna keep doing it as long as, long as I can. Good. 
um, because I just don't think I can get to know fellows in a group right. initially like I can yeah. one-on-one. I yeah. you. For my last question, I decided to ask Karen what was her favorite part and what was her least favorite part of being the executive director of WAR. I'm also going to mention that the conference room telephone all of a sudden started ringing in the middle of her answer. I know, perfect timing. And I don't have the fancy equipment to tune it out, so please just bear with me. Well, the biggest uh, disappointment I have ever had in this job are the very few times when a fellow hasn't, hasn't performed the way they should either in their job or foreign or fellowship initiative. It's disappointing because we do a great job of, of vetting um, candidates and or right. fellows are amazing as you well know and then very occasionally when someone just isn't giving it the effort that they should that's disappointing and that's um, not something that I even considered would be a factor right. when I took this job. Um, I'm happy to say it's it's rare, but it's it's kind of sad when it when it happens. And the the greatest thing about this job, there are so many. I love talking about OR fellowship to people outside of OR. How fun is that? That anyone who wants to know what I do when I describe it, they're impressed and think it's really cool. Like yeah. that's really fun, you know. So I love. Uh, being a champion of the organization and spreading the word about it, um, it's it's rather joyful. You know, I'm trying to give you something more unique because no, it's almost cliche, but obviously the best, best, best part of this job is getting to know all of you. I right. mean, I mean, I didn't know you not that long ago, and now here we are. Oh yeah, I know a lot a lot about you. Then. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm glad to know you, and 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 I always will. And so the relationships that you all form with each other is your favorite part, just like that's my favorite part, of course, as well. Thank you so much to everybody who's listening. I really do appreciate it. Tune in next time for our interview with Bo Dietrich, an OR alum and also a member of the Alumni Advisory Council. Today's credit for music goes to Mom Placier with A Good Start, Xylo Kiko with Phase 2, Kilobot with Senorita KID, and Eddie with All the Way Up.
Es war tief in einer Bar Mitten in der Wüste 